We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet, put those hands together, and we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento Kings. Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I'm James Ham, Kings Inside for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Joining me, Fox 40's Sean Cunningham. Sean, how are you? Hi, James. Very thrilled for another edition of the Kings Beat, especially with the Kings in town. Uh, it seems like they've only played home games this season. Uh, there's there's a lot, um, but it's the last of uh, a many, right? I think so. Uh, and of course, Sean and I are joined by Brendan Nunez from the Kings Pulse podcast. I don't have my mic here today, so I can't actually make loud noises. Uh, I have to use the uh, the earbuds. But Brendan, how are you? I'm doing good. Uh, my ears are feeling nice and healthy today. It's a shame that you can't just totally blow out our eardrums. <laughs> um, let's get to it. It's still raining. Sean, your thoughts? Oh, I'm not wild about it. Um, someone asked me the other day, uh, because I, I think I read, <laughs> you would think I'd know these things because I do work at a news station, but uh, I think it was something like 17 straight days of, of rain, which <laughs> I can imagine that would... And someone's like, oh, are you getting used to the rain yet? <laughs> I just want to be like, did you punch him? You just leave me alone. Come on, just, <laughs> you shut no. your mouth when you talk. To yeah, me. man. No, you can't get used to the rain. I, I mean, you can, I guess. Uh, but no, we're Californians and we're not built for this. So, Brendan, you seem to be surviving. Yeah, I'm hold doing on. okay. Hold it's on. Hold busy that for work. I'm surviving. I'm, I mean, <laughs> it's not that I'm not surviving, man. I'm surviving, but. Go ahead, Brendan. Sorry. You're good. I know that the comments love when we talk about rain at the beginning. So, oh, yeah, uh, I'm uh, yeah. I'm doing good. It's got me busy with work, but I don't hate the rain. I think it's a OK aesthetic, but it's very inconvenient. It's very inconvenient, especially when you have to drive an hour each way to the arena. Like it, it's been a little crazy. Like today, this morning was it was a little crazy getting in. So um, I, right, uh, I, I like the fact uh, that, that well, I don't like it, but. I actually ended up doing kind of a story uh, that will air, I think, later today, just 
catching up with Kings players um, who have had to endure the just like the rest of us, you know, humanize these players who had to endure circumstances and and situations at their where they live and and the different things that they've seen and how they've been impacted. So um, obviously, first world problems for a lot of a lot of those guys. But uh, yeah, it's something that I think everyone can relate to because we're all kind of going through it. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Um, all right, let's get to it. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube uh, and you don't mind, give us a thumbs up wherever that thing is. Uh, also, if if you're new, no, the camera. Oh, I got you. Uh, yeah, if you're new to the King's Beat, uh, give us a subscription there to uh, on the YouTube channel. Uh, if you're listening somewhere else, make sure to give us a rating and review. Those things always help the algorithm, which we all live by. Um, and uh, lastly, join the King's Beat, the, the kingsbeat.com. Uh, become a premium subscriber to get invites to all of the content and the happy hours. We will have a happy hour later this month, although we have yet to set a date. Uh, but uh, we will have something coming up. Um, the Sacramento Kings are finishing up uh, their their long home stand. What do we have? Thirteen out of fifteen at home, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it feels like they've been in Sacramento forever. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm kind of ready for them to be on the road. I, you know, do you guys kind of feel that same way? Yeah, bring on February when there's only three home games. <laughs> I mean, that's that's obviously uh an, an extreme but uh yeah yeah it's um there's just a, there's so much going on with the team and it, it's an everyday thing and um look we're we're we have fun jobs that allow us to cover this team like that so no one's crying for us but uh yeah man it's a, it's an all-day everyday grind it's not digging a ditch it you know it's not not to don't cry for us argentina but it's uh it it, it is a commitment and it, it, it does tack on and when you have a lot of these back-to-backs or a lot of these three and four nights or every other day it's uh they stack up, man. I haven't seen my family in a while. It's crazy. <laughs> Sean doesn't really have a family. Yeah, how dare <laughs> <you>? Jesus. <laughs> Got dark. And, and Brendan, let's go to another person without a family. Go ahead. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely been busy with all these home games. I it, It's a fun environment to be at, but with the games and practices, I mean, there's just always something. And it's given them a little bit of an opportunity to solidify themselves a little bit in the standings, which I don't know that they've been super successful at doing. Um, But De'Aaron said that like on the road, you just really kind of want to go 500 and just that. I mean, obviously you'd like to go better, but 500 is totally acceptable. So it'll be interesting to see how this upcoming February stretch ends up being. I didn't realize until Sean just said it, how few home games there were in February. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, we've got two road games this weekend on Sun. Well, on Sunday and on Wednesday, the Kings are in San Antonio and then fly back. It's a really strange road trip. Very rarely do you see an NBA team fly all the way to a place like San Antonio and then all the way back to Los Angeles, and then they've got another four-game homestand um, next week. We got uh, back-to-backs on Friday, Saturday, got Monday and Wednesday, and then becomes. Like, this is when the schedule really turns on the Kings. Starting January 28th, they have a seven-game road trip, starting with two games in Minnesota, a game in San Antonio. You got Indiana. You got the Pelicans. And then uh, back-to-back against the Rockets on February 6th and February 8th. I've never seen a road trip where you start playing one team twice and you finish playing a different team twice. But then when they get back, it's even stranger. They actually play the Dallas Mavericks on back-to-back nights at home. 
So February 10th, February 11th. So as Sean talked about the month of February, there's only three home games. The two of the three are, are literally back to back. So you only have three days worth of actual Kings basketball in Sacramento over uh, a 28 day period. And that's, that's pretty crazy. And then you tack on the the trade deadline and the all-star break. And uh, it's kind of, that kind of gives you the schedule that you have. And it uh, should be an interesting month of uh, Kings basketball. Yeah. Those back-to-backs with Dallas are the day after the NBA trade de- trade deadline, which is February 9th. Um, yeah. So it, it's going to be a little wild. Um, okay. So let's get to the game that we saw. We'll, we'll rehash that a little bit. Um, it does have some sort of keys inside of it, which we'll jump into, but um, Brennan, what are your initial thoughts on the Kings' win over the Houston Rockets on Wednesday night? They play again on Friday, uh, which is while, uh, when we're recording this pod. Um, but due to 49ers coverage tomorrow with Sean, uh, we had to kind of tuck this one in somewhere. It's not a not an easy scheduling week for anybody. Uh, but uh, Brennan, we'll start with you. What, what did you think of the win over the Rockets? I mean, the big takeaway is that Trey Lyles needs to be in Salt Lake City. Like he was Trey phenomenal All-Star. in that game, uh, 15 and six in the fourth quarter alone. And his rebounding continues to be something that's really impressive. And he kind of shared that coach called him out in front of the group to be a better defensive rebounder. And coach clarified that uh, he always felt like Lyles had been a good offensive rebounder throughout the course of this year, but he wanted him to take that same energy and effort and apply it to the defensive end. I think we've seen that. And obviously shots were falling in that fourth quarter. And a lot of those were off of De'Aaron Fox passes. I think Fox did a great job uh, scoring when he needed to, but also setting up his teammates. He didn't even realize Lyles had 15 until the postgame presser when James had pointed it out to him. Um, But it was a little bit of an interesting game. You know, the first and fourth quarter I thought were great for the Kings, but that second and third were pretty tough and a little bit concerning. I think there's an aspect of Houston just, hitting shots when they're I think 28th in the league and three-point shooting coming into that like I don't know that you should overreact too much to KJ Martin hitting shots or Jalen Green finally knocking down a couple after he'd been pretty poor throughout most of the game Um, but it made for two tough quarters where Houston puts up 35 in the second 33 in the third and it had me a little bit concerned but luckily they were able to uh, kind of pull away in the fourth there. I found myself wondering probably around as we near halftime, like did De'Aaron Fox uh, piss off the Rockets by saying that morning that they don't pass the ball and they ISO a lot because they were zipping the ball everywhere, man. Like I, I was like, these aren't the Rockets. I think that in to, to be honest, I haven't seen a ton of the Rockets, but um, I did see um, two Rockets games over the past week and a half. And, uh, you know, had noticed that kind of the same thing that De'Aaron had talked about, but that game, they were. I felt like the ball movement was great, and they were fine in the open man. I thought that um, once once Kevin Porter kind of left the game, um, things kind of dwindled for the Rockets, and it, it didn't go well. So um, I liked what Jalen Green did. Shout out Fresno. Um, got to see him in, in high school a lot in this region. Um, just he still looks like that kid. That's the other thing. I mean, just adding a few tattoos, he still looks like the same kid. It's it's incredible. Uh, and then KJ Martin, yeah, just soaring through the air, but. Um, some things that really give you some pause uh, because I think some people want, I mean, I think most people thought that they'd come out and maybe just kind of step on their throat and build a, a, a kind of an early lead. And that didn't really happen, but the fourth quarter they, they handled business. And I think if you were hoping that you were hoping to see any kind of double digit lead early on, uh, they 
basically just doubled down for the fourth quarter because they they put a stomping on them. I mean, it was forty-one twenty. I think they outscored them in the fourth. Trey Lyles fifteen and six in that in that period. And uh, again, another example of the Kings having somebody come through every single night, and it's someone different every single night. And it's a uh, you know, even though here we are talking about a Demonis Sabonis game where he falls a what another assist shy of a triple double. Um, it was rather pedestrian game from him. It wasn't like it was this like, you know, incredible game and they really didn't have an answer. I mean, Shingun had his hands full. They didn't really have an answer for him. Um, and I know Shingun got a, a couple shots late in the, in that game as well, but I really felt like, and correct me if I'm wrong guys. I mean, I don't know if you had the same read, but I really felt like that third quarter, the way they ended that third quarter, I, I looked over there to me, it looked like that the Kings huddle was in a little bit of disarray. Like there was some frustration possibly, um, you know, Mike Brown looked rather pissed off and, um, there was some conversations going on that, that looked like, you know, they were really, they were really concerned by, by the way they were playing. And then all of a sudden they came out and punched first. And I just felt like Houston just completely wilted after that. Yeah. I'll, I'll bring up too. Like we talk about, uh, you know, Sabonis, I mean, it's a pedestrian 25, 14 and nine. I mean, right. it, it's just remarkable, like where he's, be- who he's become as a player. And uh, I, I want to dive deeper into some of the things with him in a few minutes, but um, even De'Aaron Fox in that fourth quarter, uh, I think, you know, we talk, we'll talk a lot about Trey Lyles and how well he played, but realistically it was Fox who set the table and yeah. I, like Fox had nine points and six assists in the fourth quarter. And to me, it was one of those moments where you saw a player who who got it going and, and was ready to take over a game, but then, like, out of the corner of his eye, he kind of realized that Trey Lyles was always open, and he did the right thing. And and for me, we're seeing this growth from Fox where it doesn't have to be the 30-point night. It doesn't have to be scoring 17 points in the fourth quarter just to pad his stats. Sometimes it's about making just the right decision and getting someone involved that has played really well all season. Like I think Trey Lyles has been one of the unsung heroes of the Sacramento team of the Sacramento Kings. I think there's probably, you know, six or seven games this season where the Kings just wouldn't have had a chance if Trey Lyles hadn't stepped up. And I didn't think I would feel that way coming into the season. I didn't think that, you know, how much of an impact he's made. But there are certainly games where he plays just – he goes above and beyond and takes over, and you're just kind of like caught off guard by it every time, even though we shouldn't be because he's a really solid NBA player. Like, is he a frontline starter? Is he like a top-end rotation guy? Probably not. But what he is is a, a really nice player to have on your bench in case of emergency or to fill out, you know, 18 to 20 minutes on, on a night where things aren't going well at other, other positions. Yeah, I'd like to see him kind of become, and I think we are seeing this, but just become like a staple because I think I said on the last episode, it feels like there's been seven guys this year and Trey's kind of been on the fringe with a couple others. And I think through these last 12 games or so, he's seen the floor every night. And I think that we'll continue to see that. Um, and just having that eighth guy, I think makes a big difference. And then you can play with who's maybe nine and 10 on a night to night basis. But I'd like to see, Trey continue to get these consistent minutes and make sure that he keeps up the rebounding can be passable enough on defense. I'd play a little bit more with some of those Trey at the five lineups. I think that was interesting in their second matchup against Denver. Um, There was a game against Utah where they pulled that out as well. And I thought that 
that worked okay. Um, so yeah, I think that Trey's been impressive. I think his rebounding has definitely st- stood out. And I, I think it's a little bit funny that uh, Trey stands out as a rebounder at the same time that Keegan's maybe getting called out a little bit and, and stepping up after being called out. And I, I will also say on that, it's a little interesting to me that Harrison isn't getting a little bit of crap for his rebounding efforts as well. Like if you're going to call out Keegan, I feel like Harrison's been kind of the same. Well, yeah. I'll point, I'll point through James and I had that conversation as well uh, a little bit, but it's, it's all in, it's, it's not necessarily the focal point of rebounding. Like, Hey, why aren't you rebounding? It's so much of saying, Hey Keegan, you can hit the three. What else do you do? And we know that Harrison Barnes serves a whole bunch of other purposes for the offense and defense for the Sacramento Kings. Keegan Murray, when approached by Mike Brown, it's like, Hey Keegan, what else do you do? And he, if the answer is, well, I create space, it's like, no, 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 that's because that falls in line with three-point shooting. Find me something else you contribute. You're expected to hit the three. What else do you contribute? So rebounding has become the the the, the, the box you check, if you will, because, and, and I know people like to go, oh, you rebound in college. Different game. As he points out, you can stand in the paint. It's not the same in the NBA. Uh, he plays a little further away from the basket often. Um, but he also just doesn't go to get the ball, as we talked about before. And we've seen that play out. Now, it's been pointed out, and he goes out in the last game. He had terrific rebounding numbers, but that was kind of like the bar that Mike Brown expects from him to go out and get four, five, six rebounds a game. I think it's as the the fun part about it was being able to talk to Keegan Murray on the off day for practice on Wednesday. Or hold on, let me back up Thursday. Yep. (laughs) And and him talk about how you know he he approaches these challenges with really great optimism and, and the right attitude. And as he points out, hey, if, if, if I start rebounding and, and check that box for Coach Brown, he's just going to critique something else. And, and that's just the nature of their relationship. But it's, a, it's, it's fun. It's all, in, it's all in fun. It's all in, uh, in, in, in the light of get him getting better. Um, so it's purposeful, but it's not necessarily rebounding. You know what I mean? In terms of like, oh, what about Harrison Barnes? No one's getting on him because Harrison Barnes fills other voids. Yeah, he does. But I'll also like to uh, to back up what Brendan's saying. I think it is a problem that Harrison Barnes has five rebounds over the last three games combined. Like that's to me, like, I guess that that could be a moment where Harrison is kind of, you know, like he's able to take a break. But over his last again, his last three games, he's got five total rebounds and two assists and one steal. You know, so like while I would like to point a finger at at Keegan Murray and say, you know, we we need to see more from you on the on the rebounding side. Um, I feel like when Harrison Barnes is scoring, there are times where he's not doing other things. And like I, I think he's still being asked to play defense against very tough competitors and stuff like that. And his numbers over especially his last like six games are really impressive, you know, where he's averaging, you know, 20.2 points per game over his last six. Um, but he's also averaging 3.7 rebounds and one assist and 0.8 steals. And these are numbers that, that need to improve. He, and then we'll let him off the hook again because he's shooting 47.6% from three. I thought that the conversation with Mike Brown with regards to Keegan was really interesting and sort of the back and forth between the two. Uh, Keegan enjoys the tough love. He He was okay with being called out. And I think what we've seen is that Mike Brown's coaching style is very interesting. He has 
he does a lot of expectations for individuals in front of the the whole. So he'll everyone will be in the room or everyone will be on the court, and he'll go through and they'll they'll explain exactly what they want from a specific player in that that meeting in front of everybody. So everyone knows not only their own expectations, but the expectations for a player like that, like a Trey Lyles, like a Keegan Murray. And so I, I thought it was interesting to have Keegan say, like, on the court, he's really, really hard on me. But off the court, he's totally become a father figure. And I, I thought that that's sort of the dynamic that Mike Brown brings, like the the joy and the energy that we see from Mike Brown. Like, the expectations are very, very harsh. But also, he's he's a good dude to hang out with outside of there. He He's making sure to check in with players. He's reading the room and making sure that, you know, he's not losing anybody. And these are good things that I think haven't always been the way things work in Sacramento. A lot of players seem to have got lost in Sacramento. And it feels like Mike Brown is kind of, especially when it comes to Keegan, like making sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, I love that Coach is trying to optimize his players and and being a, a motivator that just wants the most from these guys. And I don't think he's asking anything outlandish or anything. It's just like, if you focus on these few things, keep them at the front of your mind, make sure that you go all out effort, that these are very reasonable expectations. And um, it's a credit to the coaching staff, but I think also credit to the players on this roster for uh, being receptive to that coaching and, and clearly responding well. I, I think we've seen multiple examples with Trey, not just the rebounding that we talked about, but the three point shot earlier in the year um, talked about how, you know, when he was in Golden State that they knew that uh, scouting report on Trey was you're going to pump fake. And you saw Trey have a little bit of a quicker trigger from three, what we've seen with Keegan. Um, and, and there's a handful of examples. So I, I think for sure, credit to the coaching staff. I'm very glad that Sacramento has the coaching staff that they have, and it goes deeper than Mike Brown. I, I think a lot of their staff is, is really impressive and and diverse in kind of their coaching styles and just perceptives. Um, but I, I think that there's also a, a good amount of credit that's due to the the players on this roster for uh, receiving it well and, and clearly responding. Yeah, Sean, yeah. Wh- what do you make of the uh, the player that we're seeing Keegan Murray become? And, like, again, if we look at his last, like, five or six games, he's really been f- impactful offensively, even though he's not putting up 20. He is putting up 15 or 16 on most nights. He's shooting the ball extremely well from behind the arc. I mean, his he's now shooting 40.8% from three. But look, you and I both, we sit there, we talk. We know he needs to do more. And and even like the assist numbers, his assist numbers are much better than than Harrison Barnes over the last couple of, you know, six weeks. Uh, his, his rebounding numbers are probably a little below, but they're sort of in line with what they're getting out of Barnes as well. Um, just – where are you at with, with him and the relationship that him and Mike Bar, uh, Mike Brown have formed? Well, I mean, that's uh, first of all, I think he's playing fine. Um, I think on the if he looks he like he looks like a, a rookie to me who has a ton of poise and confidence that hasn't really waned at all in my opinion. Um, he even when he was going through his tough stretch, I felt like his confidence was there. Um, it may have slipped a bit. I mean, there's a lot of learning on the job, and there's these games you know stack up on you quick, as we've mentioned. But uh, every time he hoists the shot from the outside, man, I feel like it's I feel like it's a bucket. I mean, I feel like I have confidence that he's going to hit the 
the three point shot. He doesn't really go through these stretches where um, it's it's streaky and and he, he has to search for his shot a little bit more. Um, uh, you know, defense is what it is. I mean, that's just going to come with experience. I don't think he's a bad defender by any means. And I think he's long enough to, you know, get in passing lanes and the switchability of the NBA can be a little bit difficult. So um, I think he's shown enough promise there. He could be quicker. I think the, the, the read, I don't think he's as, as quick to read certain things as he might be, but again, that'll just come in time. I think all of his instincts are good though. And, and, and that's the most positive. If you can, if he's going to take away anything from this end, from this rookie season, it's, hey, you're not playing as a rookie and contributing on a bad team. You're playing as a rookie who is helping this team make a run for the playoffs, and uh, you're you're rotate you're bigger than just a rotational player. Like you're a you're a key asset to this player or to this this team, this well oiled machine. And uh, if if you're not there, it's going to look clunky. So, um, and, and for the other part of that is like you know. I'll give it to someone like Trey Lyles. You know, if if you were to lose Keegan, it's a tough it's a tough cog to fit to to replace. Like if you, you know, we watched how they've lost you know Kevin Herter or Malik Monk at various points, and you know those are shooters that they rely on playmaking from uh, from Malik and even defense from Kevin Herter. So uh, with with Keegan, he plays such a role that it is difficult on their team to replace. And I feel like Trey Lyles, uh, as we've talked about him he has exceeded my expectations. And a lot of that has to do with what you saw last year. I didn't love the player he has become. He had to become, uh, and he shook that off. And we've kind of chronicled that well about, uh, you know, the process and the, um, the, the, the journey he's gone to, to correct a lot of bad habits and, you know, things with his body and, and just reinvent himself. And, man, it's paying dividends. Like it's not just, it, it probably came to a crescendo in this last game uh, uh, on Wednesday against the Rockets where he had the 15 and the fourth. But uh, as Brendan mentioned, man, like, you know, he can play a small ball five. The rebounding is is usually there and he's knocking down the corner three. Um, so, I mean, it's, you know, you have to respect the, 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 the him when you stretch the floor. So there's a lot of things that go well, but, but bringing it back to Keegan, man, like he's been able to, He's a hard guy to replace, and I think that that what he brings, even with through some of the shortcomings as a rookie, uh, he it's an accelerated rookie season for him. And what makes me excited is to see what type of player he can be in his sophomore season, having a season like this and under his belt. Yeah, I think the the progress we're going to see from him. I mean, you can see the growth already, and you know the coaching staff talks about it all the time how he's a sponge, how you know they are working with him. He talked about. Uh, even like the weak side defense thing, he said at the college level, you can kind of just go stand in the key and just wait for things. And so it's it's not that he has a problem like being a weak side shot blocker because that's something he did all the time at the college level. It's he has a difficulty uh, understanding when he should go in as a weak side and when he should stay out with his man, when he should rotate. It's the the experience level that he just lacks. And it's something that I, I think he'll grow through and I think he'll get he'll get better at. Um, but it's just going to take time. And, you know, the, the Kings, I think you could even point to a guy like Davion who isn't getting really the minutes that I'm sure he hoped he had hoped. But a lot of people thought he would probably get more than like the 16 to 18 minutes a game that he's playing right now. But I feel like Mike Brown and his staff really are putting so many eggs in the Keegan Murray basket to get him up to speed, to, to grow him, to make sure that he's a functioning member of what they're doing for not only this season, but going forward. 
And that sometimes means that you're not going to allow for mistakes from other players and that you could put Davion in that, in that bundle where he's still trying to learn, but you can also take like Keon Ellis or, or Namias Keda, or even like Terrence Davis. There are these players that either are young or are still growing in the league. that just aren't getting minutes where they can make mistakes. And so they're, they're trying to limit their mistakes to what Keegan does. And then maybe what Malik Monk does. And then after that, like, sorry, we don't have time for the mistakes. And so we're going to keep trudging forward, trying to win games. And some of you guys are going to get the short end of the stick. And it's, it might not even be your fault. It could just be situational that, you know, we have to put so much time and energy into one player that we're trying to grow quickly. So he's part of our rotation for the next decade. Uh, yeah, it, it's kind of, it's tough. Yeah, I think defensively, um, the growth that he has displayed there and hopefully will continue to display to me is one of the biggest things when it comes to his growth. Like, I think the struggles we've seen uh, just adjusting to the NBA are, are typical NBA or rookie adjustments and, and just kind of the learning curve of the NBA and maybe struggles is harsh. I, I think he's been solid on defense. You know, um, he's just had moments where. Uh, maybe you would have won a little bit more, but he's also had moments where I thought he's looked really good. There was a game, I think one of the first three, four games of the year where he was locking up Paul George better than I would have expected. Like he's had some really good moments. Um, but to me, whatever growth and progress he can show there, which they obviously have high hopes for him, they're out there putting him on some of these guards, um, which I, I think is really intriguing, almost in the way they kind of used Mo Harkless at times last year. But I, I think that however much growth he can continue to develop there will just be so essential for the player that he can become because I hate to be that guy, but the same ceiling questions still kind of exist for me. You know, 72% of his shots have been off zero dribbles. And I think that's fine off of Domas. But when we're talking about what is your offensive ceiling, and this will come more in time, obviously, we've seen flashes of it and specifically at Summer League and things like that, um, albeit different competition levels, but I think that offensively, we still have seen a very limited player, although he's been a very good complementary piece at enabling these guys, Domas and De'Aaron, and playing off of them. But I think however much progress we can see from him defensively is going to be huge for his future development. Yeah, I mean, he's still the fifth option, like in the starting lineup. And that's what we kind of assume coming into the season. He'd be a fourth or fifth option. But I think, you know, with Harrison Barnes finding Harrison Barnes, and all of a sudden he's shooting, you know, 34, 35% from three. Um, it, it's one of those things where uh, you just kind of, he's going to have to bide his time and and hope that uh, that he continues to grow sort of in obscurity a little bit. Like they're not even having him be like the leader of the second team, which is what we saw early in the year. Um, let's get to uh, the Kings have the situation with Kevin Herter. Um, he missed Wednesday's game with an illness. Um, I've heard some rumor about the illness, but I'm not going to like put it out there. Um, but it's nothing major. Um, he was at shoot around this morning, uh, but he hadn't been in the gym for two days at all. And so they were running wind sprints with him. They were sort of checking his fitness level. And I'll also point out that he was wearing the gray jerseys, not the black jerseys uh, with the starters. So that tends to make me believe that there's a chance he won't play on Friday night. Um, it's nothing long term, but it's something that, you know, he's got to work his way back uh, after having some sort of illness. Um, but it's opened the door for Terrence Davis. And TD is a guy who's been in and out of the rotation all year long and can't seem to stick with it. Uh, 
just Sean, I guess, what is your take? I mean, I get why Mike Brown goes straight from Kevin Herter to Terrence Davis and leaves Malik Monk as his second unit guy. Um, but what does Terrence need to do here to sort of make an impact? Man, uh, I don't know. Just go out and go out there and, and do what Kevin Herter would do, which is play defense and hit shots. Um, you know, it, not make, not make mistakes, not take ill advised shots, not turn the ball over. Um, it's pretty simple. And, and, you know, not, not having Malik Monk in that starting five is not a punishment for Malik Monk. It's they trust Malik Monk to do what's right with the second unit. Why screw that up? You know, Malik is in a, is in, is situated to be the best version of himself with that second unit. And he plays a lot with the first unit anyway, uh, once the substitutions come, come around. So um, it, it's a, especially the way that, that Mike Brown staggers Fox and, and Sabonis. Uh, I, I think the best two man version, uh, two man game on the team is Monk and, and Sabonis together. And I, I love watching that combo a lot. So um, if Terrence Davis can look like he did a little bit in that Brooklyn game, then you're going to be just fine. I mean, that was an incredible performance, but he doesn't even need to score like that. It's you obviously have to try to draw out your defender, but uh, a lot of times there's things in transition that just happen with Malik Monk and Terrence Davis sometimes that make you scratch your head because they're trying to do so much in such a quick amount of time. Uh, and I think that's usually where uh, things can, can get a little wonky for him. Yeah, Brendan, Terrence had that moment right when he stepped on the court, like right in the first quarter, where he actually got a, an inbounds uh, turnover, where he, he didn't step out of bounds. He just tried to pass it to Fox and turn the ball over, like right in the first couple of minutes. It's those little mistakes that you're just like, <sighs> Which is the last thing that the guy that is on the edge of the rotation and getting a chance in the starting lineup should be doing. You know, like make sure that you're not making those type of, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, stupid mistakes. Like I, I think that TD needs to hit open threes, which is only 32% on his catch and shoot threes this year. Um, and there's just going to be some variance with that number, but come in and not make all too many mistakes. Like I, I think that he's been a little bit turnover prone at times <clears throat> as my voice totally goes to crap. Yeah. Um, are you okay? Should we apparently not? <laughs> I blame the tie-dye. Yeah. <laughs> he he's at 5.2 fouls per 36 minutes. You can't be going out there and fouling in your limited minutes. Um, so I, I think it's just cleaning up the little things. Like I, I would love for his catch and shoot threes to be more around 37, 38 plus percent. I think that'd be really big for him, but we've seen him like have an ability to attack the rim, and I think that he does a good job playing off Domas, but defensively, just not fouling, not making silly turnovers. Um really just go out there and don't make standout mistakes. Just kind of fit in. I think if Terrence Davis is playing and not standing out, that, that more often than not, that's a good thing unless you're having a night like the the Brooklyn game. Yeah, I've, I've talked to a couple of people who may sit down lower, and they said that when Terrence is on the court and when he comes off the court, there's more coaching that goes into him than any other player. And it's almost like he hasn't been coached before and they're really trying to get him up to speed on certain things. I don't know that that's the case, that, it, that it's a lack of coaching in his past. I think it's just he's one of those players that may need you to tell him the same thing 50 times uh, before sometimes it sinks in and sometimes it still doesn't. Um, but, you know, I think he's still a nice player to have on your roster because he can fill in at the two. He can fill in at the three. He does bring energy. 
there are nights where he can't miss, where he's just an absolute flamethrower. And so it's good to have those guys. You just can't have multiples, especially in your rotation at the same time. And that's unfortunately, I think, a lot of the reason why he's watching most nights. And um, it's because the Kings are rolling with with Malik Monk. And and I'll even point out for for you know people who haven't been really paying attention, you we think that you know Malik Monk is this guy that's such a huge part of everything that they do, and you know he's the energy guy and all that stuff. Malik Monk's still only playing twenty three minutes a night. Right, and and that tells you that that they're trying to limit the mistakes. They're trying to limit some of the things that go wrong with Malik Monk, while embracing the greatness that he he does bring, the excitement that he brings, the like the energy that he brings off the bench. Um, let's get to let's get to Domas. Um, you know, we keep watching these games, and like I, I was looking right before we we started talking to coach uh, in post game. Um, he's missed a triple double by two assists. He's at eight or more assists and missed a triple double eight times a season. He's also had one game where he had a double double with assists and points and missed by one rebound. Um, but like he's looking for that elusive fourth triple double. Is it remarkable to you guys that we're watching a guy who basically is, I mean, he's number three in the league in win chairs. Um, not only is he like averaging 6.7 assists per game, but he leads the league in overall in, um, what are they called? Screen assists. Uh, he's second per game in, a, in screen assists, uh, but he leads overall. Steven Adams is number one. And then on top of that, like he leads the league in points off of screen assists. So like his teammates are averaging 13 points, 13.2 points per game off his screens. Not off his assist, but they're off his screen assist. Uh, and it's just to me, like we're watching a player that just brings it every single night. It, it really is remarkable. With He's a broken a, thumb. Yeah. Yeah. We were both going to the same place there. We were both going there. Yeah. Like it, it like you guys mentioned, or Sean mentioned earlier, like it being a pedestrian stat line that he put up last game. You just expect greatness from this guy. And he never lets you down, seemingly. Like, he's got those three triple-doubles on the year that you mentioned. That's tied for third in the league. Luka and Jokic are the only guys with more, and which, to be fair, is 10 and 11. Those guys have definitely put up numbers. Uh, second in double-doubles. Ridiculously efficient on the year. 61% from the field. I thought at the very beginning of the year, like, his touch was a little off. Um, but it's been totally phenomenal. His three-point shot, like, I know he's only shooting a little more than one a game, but it's 41%. And there was previously in the year, I didn't love the shot, but now I almost expect it to go in like leading the league and rebounding the passing that he has is, it's just absurd. Like he's the entire hub of this Sacramento offense. And it's so clear when he goes off the floor, how much worse they get, but this, he's just phenomenal. Like he's everything you would ever want in an offensive hub. And he does enough on defense that he's not getting killed out there. He's a lot better than I would have expected and you just expect this. And that, that's what that all the all the players have said, the coaching staff, like you just grow to expect this from Domas. And the fact that you can comfortably do that says so much about him. And you just forget that he's dealing with a broken hand throughout this whole thing, like the best abilities availability. And he's there every single night. I don't know what this team would do without him. And they would lose, Brendan. We haven't had to worry about <laughs> they it. They would lose. They would, they would lose, would. Brendan. 
badly usually. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you, you, you've you seen what it looks like without Demonis Sabonis. Uh, it looks a lot like they looked in previous seasons without Demonis Sabonis. So it's Covered not good. Covered 12 and a half seasons or 11 and a half seasons without Domas. Uh, uh, yeah. I always go back to, you know, I want to see him average 20. He's almost there. He's at 18.9, which is what he averaged last year. Um, but those games, like, he... I, He's such a freaking mismatch, man. To to with some with most teams in this league, like he can just get a bucket so easily that it's it it's. I wish he had a little bit more selfishness in him. I've always said it. I wish he would just recognize it and just go. I'm going. I'm just. I'm scoring here. I can just pull the trigger here. I can attack the hoop. He gets to the free throw free throw line so very well. Um, always getting smacked around. You see him getting smacked in the face and he endures it. Um, but he's just a massive human being who can play make and is smarter than anyone else on the floor. So when you got someone like that, uh, who's also talented, guess what? That's a good problem to have. Yeah. Feed him, feed him all day long. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, I'm so stunned by his ability to just shrug off. I mean, I, I don't know how many times he's had to have a contact lens replaced in game this season, but it's gotta be like five or six. Uh, like I even saw it the other night, not not on Wednesday, but I think it was the game before where he got his he got hit in the face. Hey, another foul call that was completely missed where uh, he got hit in the head. Um, uh, yeah, to me, like watching him on a nightly basis, like it's it's become one of the like joys just to and you almost like start to just expect and, and not. Yeah, I, I think there there needs to come a point where people don't lose sight of how good he is, what he's doing on the court and how impressive it is. Um, and I also, like, in postgame, we asked De'Aaron Fox, like, do his teammates need to do a better job of, A, hitting the, the final shot to get him the triple-double, and, B, understanding where he's at statistically? I know they, they, it doesn't really matter, but to a certain degree, it does matter. If you want your guy to be an all-star, then if he had 10 triple-doubles right now, he would be considered slightly uh, more of an all-star than he is already, than when he has three. And I know those things shouldn't be something that's on the front of everyone's mind, but I also know that there are times where you can go get a bucket for a guy to get him his, his triple double or whatever. And, and I would like to see a little bit more of it. Uh, Like he won't be selfish. So maybe you need to be selfish for him and keep an eye on those things for him. So then that way he can have even more success. And I'll say this again, like uh, he's a two-time all-star, right? If he does make the all-star team this year, that's, that's three. If he starts getting up to five, six, seven all-stars appearances, we're talking about a Hall of Fame player. And that's something that, like, I think his teammates should be cognizant of. He should be cognizant of. Like, you should have goals to be a Hall of Famer if you're if you're a guy like Sabonis. Where even, like, a guy like De'Aaron Fox, like, you're, you might be able to make an all-star game this season, but we're not sure. Um, you know, but that like to string together five or six all-star appearances, that's when you start having that different conver- conversation about where a guy put his imprint on the league and what he can be as far as like the upper echelon and all that stuff. I think Sabonis is right there. And and again, I, I would have done that trade at the time when they did it. And I think I would do it again today. Like, I don't care what I'm seeing from the other guy. Uh, the other guy's been great, but at the same time, like what's the other uh, guy? Yeah, he who shall not be named. Tyrese Halliburton has been great, uh, you know. But at the yeah, same why time, do you call? Why would it be the other guy? Why is well? Why, I'm just why saying. I'm just saying. Like, I'm just saying the other guy. Like, I, well, because he'll go on a podcast <laughs> and talk about it. I'm sure. But uh, wasn't he asked again, about it? He was. 
he was. Yeah. I mean, what do you want the guy to do? <laughs> no, I'm not taking any questions. I've moved on. Just say, yeah, well, you know, I've kind of moved no. on from that. Let's you go. Know, as you know, Tyrese, as well as I do, if you're going to ask him a question, he's going to give you a very thought-provoking answer and honest opinion. Yeah. That's what we love about him. And if it comes at the like, like what do you people? What do people want Tyrese Halliburton to say? I'm. I mean, he should be thrilled at this point that they traded him because it created more opportunities. A better player now without Sacramento. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and guess what? He was absolutely crushed to be traded, right? Yep. So, like, what's he supposed to say? (laughs) (laughs) I don't. I just wonder if, like, five years from now, we'll be asking the same question, like wow, he's still talking about it. Yeah, well, if he ascends to be this type of player that he is right now and and continues yeah. to be, we're absolutely going to Look, LeBron James still gets asked about his first freaking game in Sacramento at age 38 every time he comes to Sacramento. So, you know, people are going to be talking about it. Luka Doncic is going to be asked about not coming to the Kings, not being drafted by the Kings. I mean, that's just going to continue to happen. So why not keep asking Tyrese Halliburton about it? Because especially that it's it's not coming from the local media and it will probably when, you know, he strolls through as an all-star in a couple of years, if that comes to be, but uh, if not this year, if he comes through next year and he's an all-star in this year, it's going to come up again. So I don't, I don't blame Tyrese Halliburton. You know, it's crazy. I, Go ahead. I was going to uh, put it in a different direction. So if you have anything else on that. Yeah. I just want to, I just want to mention that Luca, he, he turns 24 next month. Like everything he's doing right now, he's averaging 34.3 points, 8.8 assists, nine rebounds, 1.6 steals. He's 23 years old. It's just absolutely remarkable. Yeah, man. Missed. And that game against LA last night was pretty incredible. Yeah. And I think Trey Lyles is the last thing remaining from Marvin Bagley, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is that right? Is that is it was that, Dante. Yeah. Is there any seconds that I'm forgetting about? I don't think so. No. Uh, right. There might be a second hiding out there that's part of that deal. Yeah. But, I, but yeah, not nothing like tangible assets that are playing right. at the moment. So, yeah. yeah. All right. What's your different direction, Brennan? Yeah, I have one there. quick factor cap that I just came up with. Oh, oh. On, on the fly. Oh, oh. oh. Uh, Tomatis Sabonis is the best Sacramento King to wear number 10. Jesus Fact Christ. or cap? I'll throw names out. Mike Bibby well, Mike is Bibby. the main no, one. It's cap. It's cap. It's cap. Oh, just Mike Bibby? Y- yes. D- because he's been here for us freaking. He hasn't even been here a year yet. Yeah. If it all went away tomorrow, then yeah, Mike Bibby's had more of an impact on the Sacramento Kings franchise. So you said I got you for a question. I ask, I say fact. He's the best number 10 to ever play in Sacramento. Oh, stop it. There Which is also is... Justin James, Ty Lawson, yep. and Emmanuel Moutier. <laughs> just, just so it. you guys know. Just Frank Mason. First of all, look, look, did look, Nick Stauskas. Stop. Stauskas. You need to stop immediately. Turn your mic off. The For the simple fact that Mike Bibby hit the single biggest shot in Kings history. I mean, hello? I know you weren't even born yet, Brendan, but Jesus Christ, man. You've done your homework. You know what happened in that game in the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, no, he sorry, makes an Dallas. all-star team. He's the best number 10 ever. Now, it's... now, Brendan, let's bring it back another way. Will he probably be? Probably, because he stays he in be? Sacramento. Nah, well, no, that's a should, <laughs> because, say word. 
I will say should because yes, it's a colossal failure if Domana Sabonis leaves the Sacramento Kings. Colossal. I mean, that would be dare I say reset button worthy. Uh it would not be good. But should he? Yeah, he should because they should not let him leave. They need to do whatever it takes to not let him leave. So show him would, the money. Well, it ain't even that. Show him the money, show him that you can build around him with quality talent, show him that you have a quality uh, head coach and front office and ownership group and arena and fan base and city. And yeah, man, it, he doesn't live very far from here. I mean, he, you know, he's got the Napa, uh, but he also lives in town as well. So it's, it's a lot going in your favor for Northern California and Domanus Sabonis remaining here. Yeah, there we go. Uh, did you have any more factor caps? And, and what is your answer to the factor cap? Yeah. What was your answer? Probably cap. You know, it's a close race between Emmanuel Moody and Grievous Vasquez. Oh, you idiot. Grievous. <laughs> Grievous. Uh, yeah, he was, what, like three minutes he was a king? Um, I, yeah, I do not have any other, but I will come prepared next episode. You'll come prepared. Uh, yeah, and, okay, so we're getting down to it. Uh, we actually, we got to cut this podcast uh, pretty short today just because we have a game coming up and I have to go get on the radio. Uh, but where are you guys at? Uh, let's just see the business of basketball. Um, like we're down to the wire here, like three weeks before the trade deadline. What do you think is going to happen here? What we, we talk about this all the time, but do you think the Kings are going to be able to pull off something to improve their roster? There's again, you know, chirping about a guy like John Collins. There's, you know, going to be some options out there, but, like, where are we at uh, just this this close to the trade deadline? I personally think I'd probably need another week to figure that out. Lame. Um, I, I think they're – I know. Uh, I think – well, no, I've already said this team needs to, to do whatever it takes, right? Like, you're all in. This is your This is your moment. So, uh, you're going to be aggressive. You're going to be looking at making those moves, and, and as they should. But – you're asking me, well, I think something would be accomplished. Um, it takes two to tango, man. So um, I, I, I don't know yet. I really don't because I, I, they already know what they need. You know, I think there's, I think that's no secret uh, what they need, and it's just being able to find it and being able to sacrifice the the right amount of talent for the other team as well as what you value do you think that asset will be what you absolutely value will it will it um live up to what you're giving away so i don't know man the that's that's a tough one because it's i they want to so yeah they're gonna they're gonna do everything in their power to to try but it's not easy bro Brandon? it'll be it'll be 11 p.m on february 8th and sean will be like i don't know i need like 12 more hours to think about it <laughs> well, I don't just throw shit against the wall. I mean, I have no problem being wrong in terms of what I think. Yeah. I have problem being wrong with what I report. But yeah, I, I, I mean, again, that's kind of like saying, like, I'm trying to give a real world hypothetical, but like, hey, do you think, <laughs> do you think the boss is gonna bring a bunch of pizzas for our for our Christmas <laughs> bonus, or are they gonna give us like five hundred dollars? You know what I mean? Like that's a, that's a shitty analogy, but like you have no way to great. predict because it's not. Yeah, like <laughs> it's not, you have really it's not a great analogy, Sean. <laughs> no, it's not. You, you you're good at them, and they usually involve your youth soccer team. So what would you? Come <laughs> <up with? laughs> yeah, like I I think you know what you need, and 
if you can go out and acquire that player um, and you're Monty McNair, I think at this point you go for broke. And, you know, I don't – they they have – an outside shot of making the move that they want to make that they need to make without damaging the core of the team. It won't be easy. It will cost a whole lot of draft capital, but uh, I, I still think that, that there's a possibility that this team could go out and try to acquire that third player that could help put them over the top and make them really a challenger next season. Um, not just for the playoffs, but like something much bigger. And I think that they're going to be active, um, whether they can pull it off or not, you know, who knows? Um, here's a, here's another way to look at it too, James is like here, you were sitting here on January 13th, right? When the trade deadline's still a month away and you're in fifth, uh, a half game now back behind Dallas who moved up above you as you had reached a fourth the other day, but still there's not much separation it's curious to see what two weeks look look like because, or even a week from now, looks like like what's the separation between teams that are in the play-in tournament to where the Kings are right now at this moment. Uh, we talked about in the last podcast, man. Like you were in fifth, and three games separated you from twelfth. It's just it's nuts. So like with respect to the trade deadline, it, it, if you're Sacramento, you're almost looking at making the move right now, trying to find that move yeah. to be aggressive right now before the deadline while you are this upper echelon team. All and all the while knowing that it could be fool's gold. There's only three games that separate you, and you reach fourth with a win over the worst team in the league, one of the worst teams in the league, or the the worst team in the league, right? Like, yeah, Houston, Houston so. is the worst team in the league. So again, it's like it, it, they're going to want to be aggressive. Yes, they're going to want to strike on this and everything, but you have to also bear in mind is like, should you, you know, like. Three weeks from now, if you don't make a move, and all of a sudden now, let's say you're you're down to tenth, and now the separation is five games, six games, whatever it be, how does that change the calculus? And that, and that's why I say I need yeah. more time myself because that's what factors in. And and really, how do teams get more desperate? You know, do obviously that you that's a situation where the Kings could get more desperate based off of the the win loss situation, but what are other teams now thinking like is somebody who is untouchable or unthinkable to be moved today. And we talked about how quickly the NBA can change, you know, does that you fast forward to January 28th and all of a sudden their team is completely kaput. And it, and, and it's like, man, it's the, the, the signs are clear. <clears throat> I mean, look, we can just use Brooklyn as an example. I mean, we had podcasts where we're talking about blow it up and now they're the hottest among the hottest teams in the league right now. So, uh, it, it, it changes quick, man. I'm, I'm not going to fault the Kings if they pick up two wins here against Houston and then they pick up two wins at the end of January. You, you got to play the teams that are on the schedule. Well, actually, no, no, there's have, no fault. There, yeah, there's no fault. Yeah. I'm saying my and, point and I'm is not going to look at it as less because, I mean, again, they played the sixth and the eighth. They play Houston again twice. And so, like, look, if you got four wins against Houston – uh, then I can tell tell you you have a guarantee of of twenty five wins on the season, and you know that's without the other ten games that you're playing between now and then. And the Kings haven't been in that position in a while, so yeah. I, I mean, I get you. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess I'd ask this question too. Like, if you guys are looking at the the next the, tonight, um, and then Sunday, and like the so we got what the Rockets, the Spurs, the Lakers, the Thunder. How many games over 500 will the Kings be at the end of that? Well, they're the allergic maximum, to five games over. The maximum is eight. 
What do you guys think? Well, didn't we do the whole stretch of, okay, you're going to go six of nine. So whatever, whatever where are you at is. there? Because <laughs> you're still in the same, you're still in the same stupid stretch. So now it's five of eight. <laughs> or, or four of, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's interesting, right? But yeah. we're now looking at it like you got four games here. I think at least three of these next four. Like, I, I think the L.A., is obviously injury riddled, but I think that they've been rolling a, a little bit more so than what they were at the beginning of the year. As we kind of just saw, I think some of their complimentary guys are starting to piece it together in, in that system and what their roles are. Dennis Schroeder, Thomas Bryant, as, as we kind of just saw. Um, so, I, I mean, I think it's just tough to predict like that you win four in a row. You've already won two. Like, I, I think that that's totally within reason and I would hope that happens, but I, I guess I'd go with three here. I love how he says it's tough to predict if they would win four in a row, but you should have a prediction of whether or not they're going to pull off a trade before the deadline. Well, I just predicted three. I predicted three. Are they? What about your prediction on the trade? Do you think they do some? I do. I I think that at very least they do something when it comes to seventh, eighth guy in the rotation. We've talked backup center. I think that's the thing that stands out the most. You obviously could use a backup wing or, or forward another one on this roster. I, I think if you could get somebody that's a lock in your rotation at that position, it'd be um, crucial. But the Harrison Barnes thing is is interesting to me. At, at the beginning of the year, I really would have imagined that he'd be gone by the deadline. Now I'm unsure and yeah. I, I lean more so towards him being here um but really unsure with with him being an expiring and Rashawn Holmes to Sean's point it takes two to tango like I don't know what team in the league is looking at Rashawn Holmes and thinking that they want him um so that that puts him in a little bit of a weird scenario so I I would imagine a a fringe move would be my prediction but I also don't know if I'd be shocked if they took another swing for a third star if an opportunity presented itself it's a there good it case study here. Brendan going, I think Harrison Barnes is washed, and now I won't even trade him in come January. <laughs> this is why you don't make those type of decisions. I, I was very, like, this is almost, when it comes to Harrison Barnes, it's almost worst-case scenario. Worst. I know to trade the, situation, the situation the Kings are in right now because you're going to have to roll the dice and either keep him or – you're going to have to roll the dice and damage and potentially damage the culture that you're building and everything right now. And like, so like this was always like, well, what if they are good? What if they are good at the trade deadline and you don't feel like you can trade Harrison Barnes. And I think that that's where they're, they're heading right now. They're in a situation where they know that if they trade Harrison Barnes, like, there's a fragility to this team because of the the length of time of them not making the playoffs. And you would worry about what it would do to the psyche of this team, whether they could get through it. And so that plays into whether or not you trade a guy and, and it doesn't really, I don't play into whether or not he sticks around. And so Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a tough situation to be in where, if you would have traded him at the beginning of the season and, and been building and done whatever you did between then and now, then you would feel like, you know, at least you'd got something for a value for, for Harrison at the time, even if it hurt you in the short term. Now you're at a point where how do you trade him? Like, let, let, How about this scenario? Like scale of one to 10 and 10 being the worst. Uh, let's say you don't move him. Okay. 
I don't know where that would fall in the, on there. But then you lose him and you just lose him in free agency, like and not getting anything for him. Where does that fall on your on that scale? Well, that's it's pretty huge because you don't have the money this off season to go out and replace him. Right. You have some money, but you don't have a bunch of money to go out and replace what he brought. And you're not going to be able to get a player of his quality for what you have, for the money that you have. And that's going to be tough. And you don't have other guys on your roster that like can step into that. Like, obviously, you hope Keegan can take on a bigger role. But the whole thing with Harrison was you need two Harrisons. And then it would just become you need two Keegans. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that question kind of just depends on which there is two Keegans, to be fair. Um, is but that, ah, I guess there's not. Fair enough. <laughs> there's two Murrays. There's two Murrays. Um, but I, I think that question yeah. does depend on like how big HB would be in their run this season and what that run would eventually look like. I think he's already been tremendous and and to the point where you're at in the season. And I, I think again, this is one of those situations where you're not only do you not have if you don't have Harrison, you don't really have the money to replace Harrison. But this is where we get back to the whole fact that you gave away, you know, your draft capital for three years. So you don't have the the war chest to go get a replacement using a first round draft pick in the future. Your 24, 25, 26 will still be tied up. And sure, you can draft your 23 and then trade him after the fact. But again, we're looking at the middle of the first round pick. What is that going to get you? And I don't know that it's going to get you something that's so extreme that you can replace Harrison Barnes with. So, yeah, it's an interesting discussion. I'm sure we'll continue to have this discussion if he's on the roster after January, February, I mean, after February 9th, which to be honest with you, I expect him to be. So, all right, we're, uh, we got to shut this thing down. Do you guys have any final thoughts? Shout out Keon Ellis for getting his first NBA bucket. Um, Yes. He was very excited. He was excited. How did you celebrate? Sure. How did you celebrate? Just a little fist bump, you know, nothing crazy. Had to With keep yourself? it. Like, yeah. They keep it casual. Yeah. Nothing too crazy. You, you didn't yeah. pop some Luke Belair or anything? No, 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 no. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, my final thoughts. How about, uh, well, I, I'm curious if Brendan saw life. We, we encouraged that. I think I already know the answer, and he did not. Did you even watch five minutes of it and fall asleep? No, I did watch more of the pale blue eyes and fell asleep again. Not done yet, but oh my god! I told you I would watch one of the things on the list. Are which, you by like the a way, cradle that cradle that sways when you watch movies and just it just made, just puts you to right to sleep. <laughs> Are you narcoleptic? What happens to you? It's like a bouncy seat with a baby. Like he's just sits there. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so he didn't out. watch his I, movie. Yeah. I did start watching. I'm late to the party on this, but I love it already. I've already watched four episodes in two days, which is in my in my world that's kind of a binge. Um, White Lotus. I started it, man. I really like. Oh, it. I finished that. Which one? Season one or oh, season two? Season one. Yeah, season one. I'm in season. Oh, one. come on! Now we've you got season two to work with too. I know. Season two is well, very good as well. I'll, uh, I'll probably be done with it at the rate I'm going. I'll probably be done with it in at least three weeks. So, I'll I started listening to some some history podcasts. Just interesting stuff. Sit there. That'll put you to sleep, fresh. Brendan. Right? You can, you can listen to that if you want to catch some Z's. <laughs> no, it's right up my alley. It just keeps me going. So, uh, okay. So, final thoughts. Uh, be safe. The weather's crazy. Um, I don't think we need to bring up any like deaths or injuries at this point. 
to end on a gloomy note like usual. But uh, I thought he was going to shout out Lisa Marie Presley or something like that. No, no. Uh, yeah. That was weird, I, though. She was at the Golden Globes just two days ago. Yeah, it, that, that was very That's strange. Tough. Yeah, Damn. very strange. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, Lisa I think Marie Presley, done. Brendan, is the uh, daughter of Elvis Presley. And, uh... and Elvis oh. Presley is uh, the king I got of Elvis rock and Presley. roll. <laughs> the, the Elvis Presley was the king of rock and roll. Uh, not one of my favorites, but you know, uh, I'm sure there are people out there. What do you got against Elvis? Elvis. I, I just thought it was kind of hokey. Most of his stuff, although I, huh. I will say, my parents saw Elvis uh, in Lake Tahoe maybe the year before he died. They saw wow. him live at some some event. Uh, I don't know. Uh, sweet. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition <laughs> of the King's Beat Podcast. <laughs> Um, let's see, uh, if you're still watching on YouTube, give us a thumbs up, uh, subscribe, um, give us a rating and review wherever you listen to a podcast. If you don't mind, uh, become a subscriber to the King's beat and a premium subscriber gets you all access to everything. And it gets you 20% off all your merch. Uh, so it sort of pays for itself once you start buying merch. Um, outside of that, uh, we got a couple of, uh, road games coming up after this, uh, followed by another four game homestand. Uh, so we'll see plenty of each other next week as well. Uh, so I think that's going to do it for this edition of the King's Speed podcast. So for, like, go for it. Do you like the Niners? We got to get your Niners prediction. Oh yeah. Niners. Of course. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's yeah. Seahawks. I'm just saying. No. I was really surprised to see that uh, their quarterback had thrown 30 touchdowns, 4,400 yards and 30 touchdowns. You can put his name on. It's Geno Smith. He's yeah, Geno. I mean, I, yeah, I thought that that was impressive. I was surprised by that when I was going through the final stats on the season. Pro so, Bowl, right? Did he make the Pro Bowl? Well, the Pro Bowl, like everyone in their dog makes a Pro Bowl. Right. Oh, All Pro, though. Niners. And I did Niners, win. Uh, uh, me and my son did win the fantasy football Super Bowl. Uh <sighs> We have another ring coming. We have another ring coming. It'll. I think it comes in the mail today. So a lot of monopoly money. Next show, I'll. I'll yeah, we we made some good money on this. I think we're going to use it. Money. Just we're fun. saving. Yeah, we're saving up for uh for a trip to England to go watch Man U play because my son's a big Man U fan. So we, just me and him want to go and go catch like two games and come home. So it's it's good. It's good. Have goals. So uh, yeah. But uh, on the next podcast, I will flash my second championship ring in the last five oh, years. Okay. So, yep. <laughs> yeah. Not to, uh, not to, all right. Not to gloat. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the King's Beat Podcast. For Fox 40, Sean Cunningham and Brendan Nunez from the King's Pulse Podcast, I'm James Ham, King's Insider for ESPN 1320 and the King's Beat. We'll see you very soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.